Welcome to One Strategy Showcase. This is Fergus in Chicago. As always, you can follow me on LinkedIn or Twitter. Uh, I don't actually use Instagram for the show, so don't follow me there. I know a lot of people have been trying to do that recently. And as always, you can hear the episodes and see the creative work on our website or listen to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Today, we talk with Kevin Ritchie, Executive Vice President at DDB in Chicago. Kevin is the lead strategist on the U.S. Army account. We talk about the recruiting target for the Army. We talk about the perceptions the Army has to address and overcome and the uh, sort of political and cultural divides in this country and how that's affecting recruiting and that sense of shared purpose, national shared purpose. Uh, if you follow the news, you know the Army has internal reform issues to deal with, but this show is not a platform for that debate. For the sake of our discussion, we assume those reforms are rolling out. My interest originally in doing this episode is really the psychology of decision-making amongst the Army's target. Uh, if someone is willing to put themselves in harm's way for a shared purpose or for a career, now, that's fascinating for me, and I think it's something that we can learn as marketers about that motivation and how to, and how to uh, address it or, or appeal to it. Uh, one of the Army's key recruiting challenges is that roughly 75% of new recruits come from existing Army families. Just think about that for a moment. 75% of new recruits come from existing Army families. And the highest concentration of these recruits comes from the southern part of the United States. So building on this core is important if the Army wants to be more reflective of the entire country, which is its goal. Uh, DDB has so far launched two recruitment campaigns. The first one was the What's Your Warrior? And the second is The Calling. Kevin and I talk about the role each campaign plays in recruiting and about the major brand campaign, which the agency is now developing. In essence, they're, so, they're, they're in the process right now of, of identifying what the next Be All That You Can Be platform might be for the Army. Uh, and I think actually our conversation will give you a peek into what that might eventually be. Uh, before we start, I want to thank uh, Group Think London for having me speak at their conference this past week. It was fun. And to Sweathead's uh, Do Together Strategy Conference for inviting me to join them in September. I think you can actually buy early bird tickets uh, for that conference now. Um, my special series with Wark is going into production soon. I'm, I'm producing 12 custom episodes for the winners of the 2020 Wark Marketing Effectiveness Awards. Those shows will be available exclusively on the Wark website. Uh, but they'll be free to everybody, which is awesome. So more details on that as we get closer to those release dates. And lastly, uh, if you're interested in being a sponsor of the show, we would love to hear from you. We've got some great packages that are rolling out now. Uh, if you're interested in being a sponsor or you think so, you know of someone or some company or organization or brand that would uh, be interested in that possibility about reaching our target, you can reach out to us at hello at onstrategyshowcase.com. That's hello at onstrategyshowcase.com. So this is Kevin Ritchie of DDB in Chicago. We talk about the U.S. Army. Enjoy. So Kevin, I'm excited to have you on the show. Um, I've always admired the Army work. We've obviously, you know, here in the U.S., we experience it every time there's sort of a marketing cycle and it's uh there's been some sort of legendary work over the years but i think more in more recent times i've been intrigued by it not so much for the work 
but for the entire psychology of decision-making in the recruitment process. And I, and I think as, 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 as colleges look to recruiting people and as marketers, as we look at sort of the journey and, and the, the customer journey that everybody talks about so much these days, uh, it's really, I think, it's very, it's very intriguing to me when we look at decisions that mean so much in life or appear to mean so much in life or we perceive as meaning so much in life about how we as marketers handle that. And, and I think, you know, I think, I think of college recruiting and the fact that for, for younger people, college recruiting are, are making a choice of, of where to go to college and if they want to go to college and leaving home, et cetera. These are, ma- these are major decisions, but they're not, they don't perceive, they're not perceived as being as major as, as I was choosing to go into military service. So I'm curious, is it super, is it super interesting as a planner to think about those sorts of issues in terms of the psychology of decision-making? Is it as uh, hopefully it's as interesting as I think it is in the uh, military. (laughs) Yeah. Fergus, thanks for that. And I think it is that interesting. Um, A wise boss once told me, you know, you make the choice, but really the choice makes you. And I think that's true for any choice, whether you work for a car rental company or an agency or decide to serve in the military. But I think the perception is that when you choose a career in the military, it's sort of this lifelong choice. And it's a bit of a misperception. People go into the military and come out of the military and go back into the military. There's a lot of mobility in and out of service uh, in the army. And people don't quite see it that way. Um, but I think there is some truth to the perception as well, which is uh, in, in service versus self-service, I think you're, you become a bit transformed. Um, you know, the army in particular is very much a team culture. And from basic training onward, you learn really quickly that you can't do any task in the army by yourself. And, and so there's life lessons like that, that are, I think, transformative Um especially for young folks that join the army, you know, early in their career. And, and so in that way, it, it does transform you um, for life, even if you choose to go in and out of service. But it's interesting, you know, when I hear you say that, I kind of think about what we believe is the case in modern culture and popular culture. And when we hear about um, a lot of these commentaries about generational attitudes. It seems to me that sort of the conformity and the rigidity and the discipline of the army seems to be what many people would say is the opposite of what people want when it comes down to they want to define their own path. They don't want to. They don't want to feel that they're obligated to institution. Does that just not play out in the target for army, or, or is the target for the army a different sort of a persona or a type? I think largely it's a misperception and it's one that I carried for most of my life as well. Before I started working on the army brand, you know, I assumed the rigidity, I assumed the discipline being sort of the main thing about it. And, you know, with all perceptions and misperceptions, there is some truth to it. You know, that the discipline and uh, rigidity is there to make sure that all soldiers are extremely safe. Uh, the, The army is incredible at organizational design. And and so they do have uh, rules in place just to make sure that every soldier is absolutely uh, safe in all of their activities, whether they're in a kinetic activity in the battlefield, hopefully not, or if they're 
doing some activity domestically, putting out a fire, building a levee, et cetera. So there is some truth to the perception, but in fact, um, individualism is encouraged in, and rewarded in the army. And this was a surprise to me. You know, they need people to be the best version of themselves so that they can do the best job they possibly can in the army. And they need really diverse thinkers. You know, when you think about the army as being 1.3 million people strong, and that's all the folks that are in active service, not counting all the folks that are not in active service. Um, what, what you need is, is diverse thinking to make the best possible decision on behalf of those that are serving in the army, but also on behalf of who the army is serving, which is the American people. So if you have a lot of the same kind of people that are thinking the same kind of way, you're going to get the same kind of ideas every time. And that actually is what the army does not want. What they want are more diverse ideas so that statistically a few of those are going to be better ideas and therefore they can make better decisions for the army uh, and for the country. And, and it's a global organization. So for the world as well. And, and that was something that just, I did not know until I started uh, getting under the hood of what this thing really is. You've got the army, you've got the Navy, you've got the air force, you've got the Marines, you've got the coast guard. These are all part of armed services. And I'm, I'm really curious, uh, you know, what has sort of been distinctly appealing about each of them? Like, yeah, it's, a, it's a great question. Um, it's really the difference between, uh, people orientation and platform orientation. So the Air Force is about planes. That, that's their platform. The Navy is about ships. That's their platform. You know, when an aircraft carrier docks outside of uh, Iraq, you know, that sends a very strong signal. And the signal is the platform has arrived. You don't necessarily think about the people that are running that ship. You, you see the aircraft carrier, you see the planes on top, and you see the size of the ship. Those are, those are platform um, perceptions. The army uh, is about people. It's a people platform. You know, uh, the Air Force are airmen. The Navy are, are, are sailors. The army are soldiers. And it's, it's why the army invests so much into the education, the training, and the protection of every soldier because it's a people-centric force. The people are the force itself. You know, the, the current army is actually the most educated enlisted force uh, in history. Um, again, something I did not know. And, and it's, it's sort of, um, you know, you can't blame people for not knowing that. Uh, when we pitched our first campaign to the secretary of the army and the chief of staff at the Pentagon, we actually showed them stills from the recruitment campaigns of all the branches of the military. And we asked them if they could identify which ad belonged to which, which was a little uh, brazen probably on our part. Um, but needless to say, we, we made our point. And, and the point was the army needs to take a different approach. You, you have a difference and that dif difference is a distinction and that distinction is not well understood. So let's really talk about the soldiers. Let's talk about who they are, how they work together, all the different jobs they have in the army that people have never considered. And in revealing the truth of the thing, maybe we will actually get some people's attention uh, for the first time. So I, I would assume that for you guys, for army, uh, army's got to be considering the fact that, that Navy 
and Marines and Coast Guard, et cetera, that, that you're really competing against them for the, for the right type of recruits. Is, is there a, you know, when you look at the competitive landscape, are you guys looking at, at those different divisions of the armed services as your competition too? I mean, on some level? The Army is, in fact, really competing with every other company and sector in America, from Amazon to Google to Walmart to higher education. The Army needs the best and brightest Americans to consider joining it because the Army needs to be the strongest version of itself. And in the scramble for the best talent, the Army, I think, is realizing that they need to position what they uniquely offer not against the other branches of the military, but rather against every other option that young people and not young people are considering for themselves in the American economy. Putting on sort of our our marketing strategist uh, hats, um, tell us a little bit about the the sort of the past attitudes and motivations of of potential recruits or success are those who are successfully enlisting because I'm, I'm i'm really curious do you look at it as sort of attitudinal segments that that you have to go after or you know you can go after that are people who are motivated or groups of people or types that are motivated by different messages and different sort of narratives can you give us a sense of what those big bucket narratives and segments might be and how you think about them yeah, I can. Um, I'll start by providing just a little bit of context. Um, only percent of youth are even qualified to join the army. What what percentage is that? Twenty nine. Twenty nine percent are even qualified to join the army. The perception is that it's this choice of last resort, but, but it's actually not true. And again, this is something I did not know until I started working on the army brand. The academic and physical standards rule out 71% of everybody. And then, of course, there's the physical qualifications. You you have to maintain a certain standard of physical excellence to even join the Army. So that rules out 71% of everybody. Only 10% of youth are even interested in what the Army offers right now. And that 29% and that 10% do not perfectly overlap. So think of it as like a little Venn diagram. Uh, So in order to maintain an all-volunteer force, we really need to surprise prospects with this unparalleled breadth and depth of what the Army uniquely offers. And and I think what the Army has been doing the past 20 years was showing dudes in the desert kicking down doors, which is a waste of marketing. If, If you want that job, there's only one place to do it. And people already know the Army is that place. What prospects don't know is about the 150 other jobs in the army from signals to cyber, from chef to surgeon, from microbiologist to civil engineer. That's what people don't know. So back to your question, we conducted over the last year, a gigantic uh, segmentation study. And it's to figure out exactly among the youth that are even qualified to join the army, what what are their unique motivations? What are their unique barriers? And what is the unique kind of information that that can be crafted so that they can start to see what this opportunity is for the first time? You know, as I said, most people, like 90%, are not even interested in what the Army offers. So that's that's the first front to open up. And and our segmentation uh, has done that in a big way. It's one of the things that fascinates me is sort of looking at looking at these buckets of attitudes and 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 I can as an outsider looking in I can say okay well if my family member has been in the armed services the likelihood that I would enlist goes up significantly 
so that's like maybe one big bucket of influence or, or recruiting that can be treated a little bit differently. But then and I, I wonder what the other buckets are. Is it sort of first generation immigrant families? Is it, is it, are there socioeconomic factors in terms of who you're targeting? I mean, am I, or am I, or am I just sort of scratching the surface there? Because I think when you look at the data, I think this is true that, 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 uh, that only like 3% of families are defending 100% of the people in this country here in, in the U.S. and overseas. In other words, there's only, there's only recruits coming out of 3% of the families in the U.S. It, it, it's, it's a huge problem. Um, so the, it's north of 75% of all new soldiers come from families of soldiers. Wow. So it's become a family business. And this is the, the, one of the primary concerns that the Pentagon has because it's not sustainable it's not representative of the whole country and it needs to be representative of the, of the whole country. And, and, it, and um, frankly, it's what happened to the Romans. You know, if you start to get these very small pockets of, of sort of quote unquote warrior class families um, and, and the relatability they have with America and the relatability America has with them starts to widen you, you start to really um, threaten sort of the efficacy of the thing itself. And, uh, you know, it, you could call it an, an existential crisis. So yeah. we, we are very much engaged in just what you said. How do we get an army like America? How do we get America to understand that the army is actually representative of all 50 states and all kinds of people that populate all of those 50 states? It's not just to have a more PC picture. It's to have representation and understanding of the purpose of the army and the role that it plays, preserving in a uniquely American way of life. I've got to think that there's that there's characteristics, common characteristics that they share. Let's let's talk about the people outside of the army families that come up through that path. Uh, but the other folks that you're that you're targeting and you see that you're able to successfully successfully recruit them, are they are they inherently selfless people? Uh, versus self-interested are, are they are they people who have sort of common personality or characteristics or values that you can share with us i think it's it's the it's not a selflessness even though what we're talking about is service i, I think what it is actually is an enlightened self-interest i think it i think it has a lot to do with what the individual wants for their life I think it has a lot to do with their ambition and how quickly they can accelerate their skills and talents into uh, making an impact in the world that satisfies them and also might be a little bit bigger than them. And we can talk about Gen Z in a moment because that, that is almost the definition that we're seeing of Gen Z, sort of how can I be all I can be, but also make a dent in the universe at the same time. But, but that, I would call it enlightened self-interest versus uh, selflessness, because I think you have to be focused on uh, on your own life and, and the kinds of choices you're going to make that are going to get you further faster. And so with that perspective, we can position the army as a further faster vessel. You know, they will invest more than any normal company is going to invest in your skills and talents. You know, the company is going to try to extract your talent the army is going to invest in it. So if you are interested in further, faster, and you want to both be all you can be, 
but also make a dent in the universe, your consideration set um, narrows pretty quick. And, and all of a sudden, if we do our job right, the army starts to be a part of that consideration set. A, a person who's interested in becoming a chef and mastering that craft quickly can think about serving a hundred people a night at a small restaurant, or they can think about what it takes to serve a thousand people a meal on a base or out in the field. Like if you frame that choice that way, they might think, wow, I may have more chance to practice my craft in the army. And I might actually make a difference while I practice my craft versus serving a hundred people a night in a restaurant. And, and that person who's interested in food is going to be different than a who's really interested in coding, you know, they may share that enlightened self-interest. How do I get further faster? And, and that is what I think um, those of us that have had the brand uh, in the past just haven't done enough work on is just bringing these facts forward so that people can judge for themselves. You know, is that what I want? Is, is the army going to serve my sort of enlightened self-interest in a unique way? And can I commit four years to it initially? So when, when you look back at uh, Be All That You Can Be, which is this sort of iconic uh, uh, tagline that was used by the Army for close to 20 years, was that trying to do the same thing? Or was that, it seemed to be more warrior-focused, but it was sort of the same message, uh, maybe in a different context? Yeah, it's a great question. If if you don't mind, I might just talk about taglines over time generally, because I think it's it's a fascinating subject, at least it was to me. You know, when you look at the taglines dating back to the very first recruitment campaign, in every case, it's striking how they reflect America in the moment. So we want you as their first. And it was the end of American isolationism. You know, the world wanted America and Americans had to decide if the cause of those that cannot protect themselves extended to those that were not Americans. You know, that was a big moment uh, for America to think about who it was. You fast forward to the end of Vietnam, when the campaign at the end of that war was, we want to join your army. The government and the military needed to rejoin the country that's serving after a long, um, popular, and ultimately tragic war. Fast forward to the roaring 80s. So now we're talking about be all you can be. You know, America was engaged in a wrestle for global superpower with the USSR, now Russia, and American individualism was the difference. And so be all you can be, how Americans needed to feel about themselves and actually did feel about themselves. It, it was a time of affluence. Uh, you know, this, the money was just rolling down the street. You know, greed is good. Uh, Gordon Gecko, all of that stuff yeah. was, was the culture of the time. After 9-11, you know, Army Strong was the, was the campaign, and that allowed America to flex you know, following the greatest terrorist attack in human history. So the way I see it is the way America feels about its army is the way America feels about itself in, in a lot of ways. You know, it's America's oldest institution. It predates the country itself, when you think about it. And, and today, our interim campaign because we're still working on the long-term brand platform. But in the interim, the campaign asks the question, what's your warrior? And I think it's a campaign that ends with a question mark because the country is asking itself a lot of questions. So I'm conscious of, you know, not just how does the army best re reflect its values and its opportunities to each generation, but also what does that mean 
for how America feels about itself. I think when we think of the armed services, we think about service, we think about country, uh, but there's also the reality of losing one's life if you're in a, a wartime, if mm-hmm. you're in a wartime cycle. Is that a factor? How much is, is that a factor in people's sort of uh, reticence to join and, and to enlist? I mean, it's a big one. Yeah, I yeah. think, again, movies and media have portrayed what they call the, the most kinetic aspects of what the army sometimes has to do as being the only thing the army does. And yeah. you know, if you have kept your, your son or daughter safe for 17 years of their life, if you've kept them out of harm's way, and then they come to you and say, I think I want to join the army because it's this accelerator. Like, let's say we've done our job perfectly right. And they see what it is and they go to their mom or dad want to do this. You know, mom and dad is going to say, I kept you out of danger for 17 years. There's no way I'm going to support that. Cause I think that's the most dangerous choice you could make. So it's, it's a big one. Um, I, again, there, there's some truth to it because it is part of what the army does. But it is just part of it. You know, less than 1% are ever in an active combat zone. And that's of the 1.3 million active duty soldiers. And, and so the, it begs the question, what are the other 99% doing all day? You know, they're studying disease, they're administering COVID shots, putting out fires, they're providing logistical support, et cetera. That that's, should be part of the story, but never at the expense of the part of what the army does that is also really important, which is protecting and defending Americans at home and abroad. And part of that work is dangerous. When I look back on the last um, last handful of years in this country, and we see how further divided we are uh, around politics and, and how we're more openly in society criticizing uh, overseas um, uh, deployment of troops and our purpose and, and our role in the world, Mm-hmm. And and um, and many people will say that that um, there's more of a there's more of a, a, a willingness to adopt conspiracy theories, and we don't know what's true and what's false, and it has just bubbled up into a way where when there was a better sense of sort of shared purpose in this country, um, those were those were times where we knew what America was and we knew what was worth defending. Mm-hmm. It it just seems that. Today, you could argue that a lot of these 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 sort of values are questioned, or there's, there's a there's a lack of clarity to them. And I'm wondering, are you noticing that in recruiting that that many people who might have been more open to to sort of enlisting are questioning what exactly they're enlisting into into defending? Yes, we yes we are. So you know, propensity is at a historical. It's been on a downward trajectory. Um, pretty much since the end of the Vietnam War. Um, And so you can look at recent events as being accelerators of that decline. But if you look longitudinally, it just really has been a a gradual decline with a few exceptions. After 9-11, there was a spike in propensity. As you said, it brought the country together. There was sort of a moment of collective purpose and patriotism. But there has been a decline in institutional trust and in sort of the binding glue that is uniquely American. And so we're very conscious of that. And it's not to say that the work that we're doing on behalf of the army can solve it, but it's something that we're really conscious of because I think we have to address it in order to do the work that we need to do for the army. 
So as we work on crafting the long-term brand platform that unifies the Army's articulation of itself, we're also challenged to find an idea that's unifying for all that should consider service sort of irrespective of political affiliation, which is tricky. And it's thrilling. And, you know, if we crack it, uh, it will give the Army the opportunity to symbolize something um, that might be quite special and perhaps needed during these times. So I know it, it sounds grandiose, but I say it because it's so important to your question to achieving the recruitment mission. So far, there have been uh, two phases to the campaign, Kevin. The first was the sort of what's your warrior campaign, and the second has been what's called the calling. Can you share with us what role you wanted what's your warrior to play? And then maybe explain about the calling, uh, which was just recently released. So, well, what's your warrior um, sort of elevates every job in the army to sort of an equally badass place. You know, if you look at the, the, or the, the chef, I mean, he looks like Jean-Claude Van Damme, you know, like he looks like a badass and it's true. Like to be a cook in the army, a chef in the army, you have to be a badass version of that. That is elevated to the same level as the groundbreaker, which is the moniker for the civil engineer, the person that thinks. So we've, we've sort of elevated all of the roles in the army to an equally badass place so that they seem aspirational, sort of Avenger type of roles. And you see how they work together as a team. So that's the knowledge gap. That's just what people don't see is that it's this gigantic team that comes together in a common purpose to protect each other in the country. And it's pretty cool. It's badass. The relatability gap is both, okay, now that I know that, do I like it? But also in, in sort of creating this Avenger-esque version of all the roles in the army, we're actually creating a problem for ourselves because now there's an attainability perception problem. Like, okay, say I want to be a badass civil engineer. I don't know if I'm that good yet. You know, I'm 18 years old. I'm 19 years old. I don't know how to do anything. I would like to be that cool, but I don't know if I can become that cool. So the calling is, is sort of the origin story for the Avengers that are depicted in the What's Your Warrior campaign. If, if we show Spider-Man over here, the calling is where we show Peter Parker. And, and hopefully that helps prospects understand that soldiers are relatable and that they all started out not knowing how to do anything too. You know, they had, they had maybe an enlightened self-interest. Maybe they had a moment that we call the calling where they say, you know what, I think I, I think I want to try this. I think I want to be great. And they're called to service. And, and the, the range of stories we tell in the calling are meant to show that everyone is called in different ways. And that's great because everyone has their own life story. So that's the calling. And that's how we're addressing the relatability gap. I looked at some of the initial work and I thought, are we, as a campaign, is it, is it sort of dealing with the practical rather than dealing with the motivating. And it, so is it fair to say that what you guys are working on which is with a longer term sort of repositioning the new, the new be all that you can be, that that campaign will focus more or maybe will lean more towards sort of capturing somebody's imagination beyond the more practical factors that I think, in my opinion, seem to be what are addressed in in the calling. Am I am I getting that wrong or am I looking at it in the wrong way? 
No, I, I think you're looking at it uh, very much the right way. And, you know, it, it has been positioned in the past as this remote pedestal, and that has not served it well. It, it creates those, it makes the gaps widen. And even when you talk about money for college, you talk about benefits, you know, those are those functional things and you run the math in a certain way and you say, nah, forget it. Instead, I think what we want to do is take it from this remote pedestal and make it feel up close and personal, you know, for, for the first introduction to the army that 90% of youth are going to have, you almost need to make them feel something like, oh, could I be that badass? Yes. as a coder could i be that badass and actually fly an airplane when i'm 21 versus ride in an airplane for the rest of my life like could i like you kind of have to make them feel the could i part of it and then okay well everyone does start from the place i am at right now and let me understand and relate a little bit better to the people that have done this journey before me and whether or not i am like them or whether or not i can relate to them so, so the, the up close and personal um, piece of it, I think is going to be really important to the long-term brand platform for, all, for that reason, but for all the other reasons we've spoken about already, which is how do we make this whole country feel a little bit more up close and personal? How do we yeah. feel that stake in one another again and get to that, this I will defend moment for, for American reckoning? Like what defending here? How far down the road are you on that sort of new platform? Because it just seems to me we're turning sort of a corner where we're becoming a little bit more optimistic as a as a society about what the future holds coming out of sort of coming into post-pandemic times. Yeah, we we are well on our way. Um, we spent, as I said, almost a year doing formative research while doing a lot of other things, like what's your warrior and the calling. But formative research, you know, measuring twice so that when we cut once, um, it's it's going to be the right cut to make, and it's going to be something that can last the 10 years or the 20 years and, and not just serve the moment we're in, but think about the future and where the country's going. So we're doing a lot of diligence, but we are well on our way. Um, it's a two-year project. So I would say by the end of next year, you might hear about um, what this big idea is. And um, I, I really hope that, that we're able to sort of match the, the need we have for it with the ambition we have for it um, so that it, it can do this thing that the army has done in the past, which is, I don't know, talk about the country and, and what, what, is, what is worth defending about it. Kevin Ritchie, EVP strategy lead, DDB in Chicago, working on the army business. Thanks for your time today, Kevin. Fergus, thank you. It's been an honor to uh, be on your program and, and I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you. Appreciate it. And we'll see everyone on the next episode.